Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Bethlehem Church Podcast, where our goal is to offer you compelling biblical content to equip you to live an empowered Christian life. Each week, you'll hear a message from our lead pastor, Matt Robinson, or another member of the Bethlehem team. We also host a conversation every week where we unpack different facets of Sunday's message. We're so excited about this message, and we hope it's a blessing to you. Let's jump in. Take your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and we're going to read a lot of scripture this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and we'll start with verses 1 through 15. 1 through 15. How many have had a tough week? Getting ready for Thanksgiving, anybody? How many had a great week, phenomenal week? All right, all right, we'll, we'll all ride off your coattails this morning. Sound good? Amen. How many love the holidays? How many hate the holidays? The polarization, I see it. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> Look, she's just being honest. <laughs> Amen. How many need another cup of coffee today? Anybody? Mmm. Yep, that's right. Amen. Well, the title of the message, as I already stated, gave the farm away. Fame and fortune. Fame and fortune. They all started with F's. So we're continuing with our alliteration here, fame and fortune. How many want to be famous on earth? Anybody want to be honest and say, I want to be famous? Anybody? You want to be insta-famous? You ready? Grow those followers? (laughs) He's like, no. Uh, How many would rather be famous in heaven? When we think about, yes, when we think about it, it's, we're living for one or the other. You're either living for this life or you're living for heaven. And when we live for heaven, we, we, we gain favor in a different kind of way. I mean, we can all see like with technology and social media and, and just the way we're so connected, we're the most disconnected, connected society. And, and that's the truth. But we see all of, of that fame and fortune right in our faces. And, and it's hard to not think about what would it be like? What would it be like if I had X, Y, and Z or fill in the blank? And, and honestly, if we're not intentional with pursuing our relationship with the Lord, our relationships because of sin drift towards those things, drift towards maybe posturing or trying to get this or that that we don't have if we're not careful. And... When I look here at 2 Corinthians, remember this is, the, this is really the fourth letter that Paul has written. It, it's the second one that we have, but the fourth one and the last one in total where he communicates to this church that, look, it, it is vitally important that you are reconciled back to the Lord, that you are back into our family of churches and that the Lord is working through you. Look, if, if we miss what the Lord has for us, there is a broader consequence for that. No man is an island. If you don't do what the Lord has for you to do, then there are people that suffer from that. Don't let the devil convince you that your relationship with the Lord is only resting on your shoulders and only has a consequence for you and not someone else. That's why it's called the body of Christ. None of us, it's not about any one of us, but it is about what? All of us, collectively. 
And when you are not here, when you are not engaged in the body, something, someone else, something, someone else suffers. And so we seek, when we talk about fame and fortune, and that's really just a, a, a title, and you'll see why, uh, and why it kind of makes sense here. We are seeking the fame of one person, and that's Jesus Christ. We are seeking to know him and to make his name known. Many people say, well, I don't feel known. I don't feel loved. I don't feel like anyone knows me or understands me or, you know what I mean? We have those types of moments where we get in those states, those states of mind or states of thinking. And we get there because we are focused on ourselves and not focused on who Jesus is. When we focus on knowing him and making his name known, because we are created in his image, those are the times when we feel most known, when we feel most loved, when we feel most cared for. And it's, it's this upside down nature of the gospel where we deny ourselves to find ourselves. Whosoever scripture says shall lose their life for my sake shall what? Find it, gain it. So we're gonna talk about that a little bit more about uh, how to pursue the Lord, but it's in this context, and it's not, it can be, you can make this a message about money, but it's not. Money is often a, the, the revealer in our lives of where the Bible says where your treasure is, there will your what? Your heart be also. So Paul here, just by way of bringing this study to a close, his intent, his goal in the narrative of this book is that this church in Corinth is participating in the collection for the saints. Does anybody remember what this offering was for? Joe, do you remember? I thought you were raising your hand. Anybody? Remember what this offering was for? He was collecting money for one specific purpose, and he was going around to all the churches. That's right, in Jerusalem. So there were poor... Uh, Jewish brothers and sisters that were in, which was at that time, the largest church in this network that was in Jerusalem at the hub. And so think about, uh, if, you, if you think back to our study through 1 Corinthians, really what, what he's going for is all of the churches which primarily have Gentile audiences outside of Jerusalem, right? So all of these other churches that are Gentiles are now contributing to a Jewish audience at a time when there were strong racial divides. Even in Jesus' time, right, when he talks to the, the woman at the well, why would you talk to me? I'm a Samaritan woman, right? These were strong lines that divided them socially, economically, and so Paul's goal is to show the reversal of that because when the gospel comes, what we find is that we are all one nation. We are all one tongue. There, there will be someone from every tribe and tongue declaring that we are under God. Uh, so this, this played out, practically speaking, in an offering that Paul was, he invested much of his ministry to this. And when we talk about Paul's missionary journeys to plant churches, a big part of his missionary journey is the fact that there were four of them was this collecting of money and finances. So when you read into these texts and when you see that there's this talk of a collection and this traveling and you're, uh, you have to get some leaders that are over this, what he's talking about 
Uh, and I didn't, funny thing, I didn't really realize this until I read the biography on Paul from N.T. Wright. Uh, I really had no clue. It's easy, how many find it easy to uh, read over, just read kind of through the Bible and you don't really get the narrative or the story. Does anybody else struggle with that sometimes? You're just like reading it sometimes anecdotally. You're looking for a verse to just like give you that shot in the arm like it's the Shine FM text or something. You know what I mean? Like I just need a verse to make me feel good. Uh, and I think we're all guilty of that where we read the Bible like looking for just a little bit of encouragement, which is fine. I'm not downing that. But there's also a narrative there's a story. There's, there's what he's trying to convey in this letter. And so uh, there's work to be done on both ends for us to figure out what that narrative is, but then also how that applies to you. How many know that we're not taking up an offering for the Jews in Jerusalem this morning? Does anybody know that? We're not, okay? <laughs> we're just not going to do it. Uh, so there's, there's this, how does it relate to your life? How does this sacrificial giving and this narrative play out at Bethlehem. And I'm going to touch on some of that this morning, but this is a very broad, 10, bless you, 10,000 square foot view and optic on what Paul was telling them to do. And at the end of the message today, I'm going to give four uh, points that I think are helpful for us to just apply to our lives. If we're not careful, the title of it kind of gives it away, but we will pursue the wrong things. We will pursue uh, money, we will pursue fame, we will pursue in our own ways. And, and when you think about your worth, unfortunately it's not tied, fortunately, but unfortunately for some, they automatically think about their net worth, what they have, what they're able to do, where they're able to go. And, and that's what we wanna separate from this morning. And remember, Paul is speaking into this church specifically saying, you need to get back to the plan. You, Corinth, this is the fourth letter. He's already written them scathing letters of rebuke. He's saying, you need to fall back in line with what the Lord is doing through you. You, you have received the glorious gospel. You know more than others about this specific topic, and you're, you're getting sidetracked. Come back and pursue what you should be pursuing. So, this idea of reconciliation, uh, we are going to tie up today and put a bow on it, but we're really going to navigate the end of this letter and kind of see what the Lord has for us. I'm going to pray one more time. You pray in your heart that the Lord will do something special today. Father, we pray that you would move and continue to move in our midst. Father, we need a message from heaven. We need your spirit to speak into our hearts this morning from your word. Father, we pray that it would be clear that we would know exactly what we need to do, exactly what you're leading us into. Bring us closer together as a church family this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. This thing's making all kinds of crazy noise, isn't it? Maybe it's just up here in my monitors. You hear it? Huh? Hear it? Yeah, I don't know weird. I can switch to a handheld if you, do you want me to switch to a handheld? Mm -mm. No, <laughs> sorry bro. He's like, man, I was just about to leave the booth. <laughs> I don't know what it is. It's, I think it's like a frequency thing. Is everything else muted? 
Okay, all right. Well, let's jump in. So there is an illustration, and, and it's, sometimes I'll say this, it's easy to read Paul, and <laughs> you heard that? All right. I'm going to switch. I'll go to 21. Testing one, two. Is that better? All right, cool. We'll, we'll roll with that. Just make sure we're cr- cranked up on that live stream so Drew's got some audio for this. Oh, man. Hold on one second. Love you all so much. God bless you. This is going to drive me nuts. There we go. Woo! I'm free. It was. It was. I'm free now. We're good. Yeah. Y'all know I got ADHD. Before they were uh, prescribing or diagnosing kids as ADHD, there I am. Mm-hmm. Let's jump in. So before we read this passage of scripture, I, I feel like when I tell you kind of my hot take on what the scripture is saying, I'm saying that to try to get you to look behind the scenes of what's happening in my mind when I'm reading the Bible in hopes that you'll read it kind of in the same way that you're kind of like digesting and understanding what's happening. And I think sometimes we think about it being from the perspective that God is writing the Bible, and that's good because he is the author, but he's doing it through who? Man, right? The apostle Paul had a perspective and he was, you know, conveying that perspective to this church. And so I don't want you to miss that part of it. And there's some funny stuff in here, the way he is approaching this church. Now, remember, he's, he's trying to get this church. This is his last letter to get them back into, you know, the, the, the program, if you will, of what he's trying to accomplish with this offering and getting the gospel out. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse number 1, and I read, We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia. During a severe trial brought about by affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of what? On their part. Doesn't that seem upside down? Their extreme poverty led to an overflow of what? Generosity. Upside down nature. The the Lord was a king and he left heaven and became a what? A servant. He became obedient unto death, stepping out of eternal life. Do you see the opposite nature of the gospel that's at play? And, And in this last letter, Paul is saying to this church, Um, you know your brothers and sisters over in Macedonia? They were going through an incredibly terrible time. And they were incredibly generous. And I, I, before, and my initial reaction is to say, why are you using comparison, Paul? This isn't about them, it's about who? The church of Corinth. But he does it in such a unique way uh, that I, I understand his point after we come through it. So, Keep reading. Verse number three. I can testify that according to their ability and even beyond their ability of their own accord, they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry of the saints. The ministry of the saints. That's that offering. And not just as we hoped. Instead, they gave themselves first to who? The Lord. 
and then to us by God's will. So we urge Titus that just as he had begun so, he should also complete among you this act of grace. So he says the only reason this happened, it was basically a miracle from who? From who? I'm pointing. From God. Y'all are still asleep. Everybody take your coffee that we provided and take a big swig of it. Amen. Thank you, Jesus, for coffee. He says, listen, this is from God. It's clear that this was something miraculous. So that's why he's bringing it up. He's not trying, what he's not doing, what you're not going to do, is say that Macedonia gave 100,000 and then you're going to give 99. Uh-uh, I'm going to give 200 if, Mac- if Macedonia is over there giving 100. Let me tell you what we're going to give, 200. That's, he doesn't want that, and you're going to see how that plays out. What he's saying is there was a miracle. This came out of grief, out of tragedy. And, and let's just state the obvious. This is for an offering for brothers and sisters that are struggling. And here's what I love. They're struggling what? Two. It doesn't mean you don't participate when you aren't in a good place. Even so, the more. Do you see it? Let's continue to let this unfold. Why? Because this is the Lord working. So I urge Titus, verse 6, to come to you. Look at verse 7. Now, as you excel in everything, in faith, speech, knowledge, and in all diligence, and in love for us, excel also in this act of grace, which is what? The offering. This raising of funds for these folks. Don't miss that. It's not just okay that you're growing personally in your walk with the Lord or that you are doing, doing your church. You know, how many people have I talked to that it's like, this is how I do church. It's this exclusively personal thing that they have. Is that biblical, yes or no? No. It's a part of the what? The whole. Paul is like, I want you to grow in grace. I want you to grow in love. I want you to grow in the knowledge of who God is. Knowing God and being known by God. But what that should do is produce cooperation. Keep keep reading. I'm not saying, verse 8, this is a command. Remember, he's comparing this with the law. With the former thinking. But forward thinking isn't about giving a command. It's about you should want to be a part of this. It's, it's not saying this as a command. Rather, by means, verse 8, of the diligence of others. Watch this. I think this is key. I'm testing the genuineness of your love. Verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sake he became what? Poor, so that by his poverty you might become what? Rich. Being broke made me rich. Who knows that Lecrae song? That's what I'm talking about. Look, being broke made me rich. What I see, Paul is saying, and now we get the full picture why he's bringing Macedonia into this. Those folks were poor. Those folks were oppressed. They, had it. they did not have it going for them. And guess what? They jumped in, and this miraculous flow of generosity came out of that, that, that conflict. And why is that relevant? Because that's what he did. He made himself poor. Out of his poverty, we became what? 
rich. It's the gospel working out. Come on. We think we got something, but we don't have anything until we find Jesus. We think we're good. We think we've got the world by the tail, if you will. But it's got us until our chains are broken and we experience freedom in Jesus. We were broke. We didn't even know it. We were in bondage. We didn't even know it. So he became poor to make us rich. And and as we continue down this mentality of gospel thinking, and, and this is why it should affect every area of our life. As you internalize it, let it shape your way of thinking. When we, we don't just, here's a, another illustration of it. When we raise our children, our goal, Sarah and I's goal, is not to teach our children facts about God. It's to teach our children to center their entire life around who he is. It's not just about, and they'd still do it, but River saying the books of the Bible is hilarious. You should ask her. She always goes back to Deuteronomy. <laughs> In Genesis, number Deuteronomy, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Deuteronomy. Like whenever she like gets at a place where she doesn't know where to go next, she just goes right back to Deuteronomy. She loves the sound of Deuteronomy. Uh, so anyway, ask River. Say, say the books of the Bible. Deuteronomy will be in there like twenty times. It's amazing. But it's not just about the facts of what the Bible is and and what it teaches us, but it's about having a gospel-centered life. I'll take, the, I'll take the Christian who doesn't know all the books of the Bible, but knows how to die to self and serve Jesus with their life, rather than know the facts about him. Well, our churches are filled with hypocrites who know the Bible, but they don't experience who Jesus is. Like, it, it's not about, oh, yeah, yeah, you got it. You know your systematic theology really well, but you're not living where Jesus is at the center. It's here, not here. Does that make sense? Therefore, because it's here and not here, this is coming from here and not here. And that's hypocritical. How many just hate it when the church is filled with hypocrites? How many hate that? I just hate that. Right? That's what everyone hates. If I, why don't you come to church? Church is just filled with what? Everybody says it. Hypocrites. Right? Well, really, we're all hypocrites, aren't we? Really, we're all striving to be the real version of who the Lord made us to be. But let's not give them... Uh, more ammunition, right, for their hypocritical guns to shoot. Let's keep going. This is, man, we're unfolding some good stuff here, right? Look at verse number eight. I'm not saying it as a command. Look at verse number nine. For for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He was rich and for your sake became poor that you might be rich. Verse number 10. In this matter, I'm giving advice. Okay, all right. How about we get this advice, Paul? Paul. In this matter, I'm giving advice because it is profitable for you, who began last year not only to do something, but also to want to do it. Verse 11, now also finish the task, so that just as there was an eager desire, there may also be a completion according to what you what? Not according to what you don't have, but according to what you what? According to what you have. It's not equal giving, it's equal what? Sacrifice. According to what you have, verse 12, for if the eagerness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what a person does not have. It is not that there should be relief for others and hardship on you, but it is a question of what? Equality. Hmm. The Bible is so far ahead of its time. 
Everybody's talking about equality today. Everybody's talking about, and really what they're saying is, I identify with this group of people. Before equality was a slogan or a t-shirt or a painting on a street, it was a scripture. And it was a life that Jesus lived. When, when bef- before uh, hot-button topics, before polarizing media, before polarizing politics in our nation, equality was at the heart. Justice was at the heart of who Jesus is long before it was ever a topic of debate on public forum or on someone's soapbox. This issue, Paul said, is of equality. If we truly, here's what Paul's saying, if we truly grasp what Jesus did, we won't see skin color, race, economic divide. We'll see another brother and sister that, is, that it is our responsibility to live and care for that person. If we loved and cared for and did for each other like they were our brother and sister, we would not have racial injustice in our nation. Would you agree? It's simple. It's not complex. And I know it's a complex issue because of sin and because of overarching systems that are in place, right, that men set up. But according to Jesus, he says, I don't need an overarching system. What I'm going to do, instead of eradicating your human race, I'm going to eradicate myself. I'm going to show you what real love is, and that's me laying down my life for you. And Paul said, on that basis is true equality. Don't judge true equality. Here's what he's saying, on what you have or don't have. This is what Christians in America do. Well... They're okay. They have enough. Okay. All right. Is this an issue of like uh, stuff? Yes or no? It's not. Equality is about them just being taken care of. No, it's not. This goes beyond money. It goes beyond stuff. And it goes to the core of who we are as human beings. It's equality. It's not, here's what I see, look at it. He, he, he says it's, if I could go back to the verse I was at, I can't remember. Uh, verse 13, look at it. It is not that there should be relief for others and hardship for you, thank you, but it is a question of equality. Look at verse 14. At the present time, your surplus is available for what? Their need. So that their abundance may be in turn your, meet what? Your need, in order that there may be equality. As it is written, the person who had much did not have too much, and the person who had little did not have too little. Measure that with the beginning of this text about the church at Macedonia that was in extreme poverty. Do you understand what I'm saying? Paul uses an illustration of a church that did not have that gave. Do you see it? He uses the church that didn't have the surplus, but he said if you were at the center of who Jesus is, you would give your surplus to those that need it, not just to even the score, but because they are a son and daughter and you are a son and daughter. Mind blown. 
we're, we're like some kind of spiritual accountant where we rock, walk around and make sure everything is equal and fair. And The gospel is not equal and fair. I say this often, and just to be a little political, but the church should be socialist and the government conservative. That's how I view it. The church, what I'm seeing here, gives away, right? The church is socialist, but the struggle that we have in this regard is that our government has now taken over that responsibility. Back then, did they have the overarching systems of when someone uh, had nothing, they could just go get what they need? We live in the wealthiest nation of all time. So here's what we do as Christians. We separate and we divide according to what we have. According to the haves and the have-nots. We'll come together for worship. We'll come together for X, Y, and Z. But when it comes to our things, we still know that there's economic classes. And, and all of that has been created by the systems that our country has created. And, and I'm not saying for or against either way. Wherever you land politically, have a time. God bless you. Uh, let's not discuss it over dinner at my table. You know what I mean? Uh, just kidding, I will if you want. Let's come talk about it now. <laughs> but my, my point is this. It has removed us from the equation and from the conversation about financial obligation. Do you see it? But Paul, it was something that he had to measure what was happening in their circles. So I think one of the questions that I have is how do we measure that on our end? And I'll give you a few tidbits of what I think. But do you see how we have to figure out financially how, how we are thinking in terms of equality and how we are giving to others and giving to the church and giving to whatever organizations you give to as to see if you are in a healthy place? As to see if you're actually involved in that type of giving. Because Paul said it this way. He said, look, I want you to excel in faith, speech, knowledge, and in all diligence, verse 7. But he, he also said, I want you to excel in this act of grace. So my point is, is it's not okay just to pull up short and say, well, everybody gets help from the government nowadays, so I'm not doing nothing. Do you understand what I'm saying? That apathy is not going to bode well for your spirituality. We have to figure it out. That's my point. I'm giving you excuses why to not do it, and then I'm saying, you got to do it. It's not okay for you just to say, well, the government's taking care of it. It's all the Democrat or it's all the Republican's fault. That's not an excuse. And you're going to stand before Jesus, and you're not going to be able to say, well, if so-and-so was elected, I swear I would have been different. You know, and then the Lord's going to be like, okay, yeah, Sure. But honestly, when I talk to Christians, their biggest beef is who is president. I'm about to drop the mic right quick. But I'm not because it's expensive. <laughs> They're new. Do you under, you think I'm, this pastor's off the reservation. No, I'm not. People literally cite political reasons as to why they're not serving and doing things in church. What the heck's wrong with us? I don't know. We're figuring it out together. <laughs> Look at verse 13. No, I'm sorry, verse 12. Nope, verse 13, yep. Mm -hmm. It is not that, they're, okay, we already read that. Verse 14, at this present time, we read that one too. Verse 15, as it is written, the person who had my, okay, we read that one too. Here it is, the church of Macedonia. <laughs> I'm having fun this morning. They did not have, but they wanted so badly to be a part. Listen to this. They wanted and desired to be involved 
with what mattered to God. Do we even know what matters to God today? Titus comes to them for that purpose because they had exceeded their expectations. Jesus is our example of this. Now go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to march right through to the end of the book. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse number 1. I'm going to read fast. You listen fast. Here's what I think is fun about this. In chapter 9, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, is a super famous verse on giving, right? On like how to give to the Lord and how to have the right spirit. And, and let's be real. How many want to give to the Lord in the right way? How many want to do the right thing? Yeah, we all want that. But I think that we lace what we do in such a way that is still a little self-serving. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's still, there's still a little bit of humanism in what we're doing. So I think this is going to be helpful to drive that out. Look at verse number one of 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Now concerning the ministry to the saints. What is that? That's the what? The offering, right? That Paul has been talking about. Just to be on the narrative here. Now concerning the ministry of the saints, it is unnecessary for me to write to you. For I know your eagerness. This is funny. I know your eagerness. I boast about you to the Macedonians. Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I'm sending the brothers so that our boasting about you in this matter, the, the, the offering, would not prove empty, and so that you would be ready just as I said. Otherwise, if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, would be put to shame in that situation. Therefore, verse 5, I considered it necessary to urge you, brothers, to go on ahead and arrange in advance the generous gift you promised so that you will be ready, so that it will be ready as a gift and not as an extortion. So you fast forward from chapter 8 and chapter 9, Paul is saying, I mean, I'm talking about how what you're going to do and how your participation in this event is going to be pretty epic. Do you see that? This is kind of like a sales call among the churches. They're on a Zoom call. Now you church at court, let me see it in the comments. What you bring into this, this is going to be so good. You, see, you kind of get that like feeling that that's what Paul is doing. Once again, I fight the urge to criticize him for that type of behavior. But he says, I don't want it to be as extortion. I don't want to show up and say, Macedonia gave 100,000 and there's 200. That's not, that's not the goal. Out of that, now look at these verses, which are famous verses. Verse number six. The point is this. The person who sows sparingly will also reap what? Sparingly. And the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his what? Heart. Not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful what? Giver. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you, so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. As it is written, he distributed freely, he gave to the poor. His righteousness endures what? Forever. We really have a example of what biblical giving looks like right there in the text but he's saying it's not about from a place of knowing what other people what give but about what he's laid on your what on your heart 
Now, how much different does this look like in our New Testament context? I give 10%. That's what I do. Somebody show me tithing in the New Testament. <laughs> There's only one place. Excuse me. Sorry. A little congested. There's only one place where he mentions it, and it's what the Pharisees were doing in the book of Luke. It's, it's not about a calculated effort. It's about your what? Your heart, and it's always been about your heart. If you and God decide that it's 10%, guess what? Great! Phenomenal! Wonderful! But it shouldn't be calculation based upon what other people do. It should be based upon what? What God's called you to do. Not based on what someone else has or what even you have, but what he's called you to do with what you have. Look, I just think that this area of fiscal responsibility in the church, as Paul is pushing this church to be a part of it, don't miss the tenderness of how he's approaching it. He's saying, I absolutely am not trying to get a dollar amount out of you for the sake of a dollar amount. I'm trying to get you to understand how this will directly affect your relationship with God. That's amazing. If you're throwing money in the plate or in the box or online is not directly related to your worship of who God is, then you're missing out. You're missing out. If it's not something that comes from the heart, from a place where you're saying, God, this is a partnership. You've brought me to this place and this is what I'm doing. Then you're missing out. You're clocking in and clocking out and that is not what God wants. I got to hurry. Verse 10. Now those, now uh, the one, look at verse 10, who provides seed for the sower, bread uh, for food also will provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. I, I want to hit on a couple things here as we finish this up. One being the prosperity gospel. When I say that, does anybody understand what I mean by that? Okay, the, the, the most are. We'll hit on it in just a second, but in, with that in mind, Good scriptural giving, let's finish this out. Verse number 11, you will be enriched in every way for all generosity. He uses this word over and over, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it is also overwhelming in many expressions of thanks to who? To God. Man, generosity is directly connected with how your relationship is going with who? With God. Verse 13, because of the proof provided by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience, uh, for your obedient confession of the gospel of Christ, and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone. And as they pray on your behalf, they will have deep affection for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Do you see what Paul is doing? He's saying, because this church in Jerusalem has a framework of understanding the gospel, when they see you sacrificially giving to them, who are they going to praise? God. They're going to say, this is an indescribable gift and an example of what the greatest gift was. Every gift, we understand that uh, through the book of Romans that the gift of salvation, the free, right? 
free gift, no strings attached, what Jesus did and paid for that price is the highest example of sacrificial giving. And so what Paul is trying to do is he's trying to say, hey, brothers and sisters that are in the church, you ought to tether every financial gift that you give to what? The cross. Everything that you do for Jesus is a picture of what he did for you. Do you see that? Y'all are like, huh? Okay, all right. Am I taking it too far? That's the question. Am I taking it too? Y'all are looking at me like I'm taking it too far. What do you think online? They already they they logged off a long time ago when they saw it had to do with money. Look at 2 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 5. Hurry, 2 Corinthians 13, look at it, verses 4 through 5. As we advance and get to the end here, he says this for he was crucified in weakness. Who's he talking about? Mm-hmm. Who's he talking about? There you go. For he was crucified in weakness, but he lives by the power of God. There's the upside down nature again. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we live with him by God's power. And here's verse five. All of you need to internalize this. Paul said this, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you yourselves not recognize that Jesus Christ is in you unless you fail the test? That's scary. He, he's using this jolting reminder at the end that do you understand what he did was an example for you? Are you, here's summing it up, are you living in that example? Is your life an example of weakness being empowered by where? Heaven. That's deep. I know it's deep. Y'all are like, ugh, ugh. This is like some thick theology, right? This is where sanctification comes in. You are being set apart as a vessel unto honor. Where, and we've talked about this, where the Lord actually puts you through hard things on this earth to be an example of his power. Do you hear that? Do you see that coming through? In the end of 2 Corinthians, he's saying, the gospel, I got to get real excited to get y'all really engaged here this morning. (laughs) It's the sixth week in the series, Pastor. I was there about week three. Okay, all right, let's straighten the plan out. The gospel has to come full circle. It has to. When you accept Jesus' weakness for the power of heaven that you attained because of the price he paid, what you are saying is I am therefore picking up my what? My cross, and I'm going to follow who? Jesus. Pick up your cross and what? Follow. What does that mean? It means I'm enduring, then people will see my what? My what? Weakness. And then I'm empowered by heaven and I carry the cross and I go another step and I take another journey. I give. I, the world looks at me and they say, you give money to the church? Why? Because we're spreading the gospel. There is a God. How many know there is a gospel dearth in the world? Back then it was an economic struggle and the gospel was beginning to spread. Nowadays we're the richest, broke spiritually people on the face of the planet. We have a nation that has all the money in the world but no spirituality. 
And oh, to God, if we as Christians were to just say, if I would think about what our church, if we all gave sacrificially, how would our church expand? If our church was the biggest building down in Carolina Road, we talked about this during our finance committee meeting and uh, elders meeting, when was that? Thursday, sorry. <laughs> what if we, we, we dumped more into the gospel here? Would more people hear yes or no? Yeah. We're ending spiritual poverty. That's what we're doing in 2021. Do you see the difference? Paul is saying, you need to test yourselves. Right now I'm testing myself. Oh my goodness. It's a little heavy. But understand this, without the weight, is there any test? There's no test. My arm is starting to tingle a little. It's starting to feel a little bit heavier. Has the weight of the cross changed? No, but the time has changed. Some of y'all, it's no big deal. How long you been enduring it? Is what, you're, is what you give, is it hurting? Is it a sacrifice? Or is it just enough? Do you even feel it? That's the point. Do you get the point? Am I making a point? Okay, the cross is heavy. I've made enough of a point, and if you haven't got it by now, sorry. <laughs> get in there. Thank you, Jesus. Listen, church. God's retirement plan is incredible. You're happy and fulfilled, and you have what you need. That's it. When will we as the church start looking at things the way God looks at them? When? When will we realize that having millions of dollars only makes for spoiled children? But having what we need makes for grateful children. When will we realize that? When will we realize that when we toggle what we have on the heavy side of stewarding all of it for Jesus instead of hoarding it for ourselves, we will begin to see the Lord work in supernatural ways. If you don't need supernatural power because you've got plenty of power in the natural, God will never show up. Here's the problem I have with prosperity gospel. Prosperity gospel, and this is why I hate preaching on money. Paul, it's loaded. The end, of this, the end of this book is loaded with financial teaching. So it's unavoidable. But the point is, is prosperity gospel says this, the guys that are rolling around in jets, do you know what I'm talking about? It's this, it's, it's the fact that they say you give now as a means to get now. Do you see that? If you give and sow into my ministry, God will turn around and twofold bless you. In their mind, here's what people are thinking. I'll get now. They're exchanging something spiritual for a physical what? Return. That is never the purpose. You give spiritually for a spiritual end. An eternal end. So here's the thing. If God returns something physical to you, what is that for? It's for someone else. It's to what? Continue the what? Continue the cycle. Prosperity gospel says, you give to me and you get. And when they get, they go, yes, I got. The gospel says you give to get to what? To give. What? Yes. The difference is one uh, stores up treasures on earth. The other one probably has a lot and will continue to have a lot. But 
he's going to continue to what? Give a lot. That's what I want. I want everything that we have in Sarah and I. We have been reckless through the years with what the Lord has given us. And it's fun. Sometimes a little bit scary. But at the end of the day, when you live that kind of life, it's exciting. And it's like, when the Lord speaks to you and he tells you to do something and you do it, for some of you that have done this and that understand this and that could get up and give testimony, there's nothing like it. There's absolutely nothing like it. But you go, well, I can't do this and this and this and this that I want to do. I promise you, the enabling of the Spirit of God in your life in this financial area will trump everything that you were able to go do on your own. You'll be like, whoa. It's a deep down connection that the Lord has with you when you give sacrificially. How does that make any sense? How does the cross make any sense? Why would anyone leave the comfort of heaven? Because he loves you. Why would anyone give up earthly things for a spiritual reason? Because they gave up earthly things for a spiritual reason and they realized that that's actually the meaning of life. And they're like, I'm going to do this again, and I'm going to do it again. That's why Paul was saying, I don't want to say this to you as extortion. This has nothing to do with the amount. I'm, I'm just simply putting it out there because I, I, this is a logistical thing. We're coming to you next. But I, I want you to seek the Lord, and I want you to pray, and I want you to figure out what God wants for you to do. Because it's going to be special, and I can feel it. It wasn't about the money for Paul. Do you see that? Okay, I'm going, I've gone over. Finally, <laughs> yeah. Here's some final thoughts. As I read the entire scope, this has been interesting for me, preaching through a book in six messages instead of going through chapter by chapter like I normally do. So the end of the book, I, I, gleaned, four, I gleaned four things that I felt were, were helpful for you. Four things that I feel like that you need to apply. Some of you have got a lot of things to think about. You understand what I'm saying? How many know that, that you need to think and ponder about what God wants you to do in your life? How many know that? We need to give time and space in our lives for the Lord to move. And so this week, this month, we, we've got a new year coming, which means we have a new fast coming, 21 days in our church. We have a lot of things to think about and consider. And rather than just some flimsy New Year's resolution, think about, God, what do you want me to do? Some of you, I'm, I just thought of you because I looked at you, some of you want to start businesses. Some of you want to do big, crazy things. There's no way to start that. There's no other way than partnering with the Lord and watching what he does first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and what? Not to get, but to what? I promise you, I, prom I want the wealthiest people in Baltimore County at our church, and I want phenomenal stories behind it. Why? Because we want money? No, because we have purpose. We have purpose. We're living our lives in reckless abandon to say, Lord, if, if like, and this isn't lottery. I hate the lottery. That's so lazy. That Christians ought to be the hardest working people on the face of the planet. Christians ought to say, I understand what my hard work gets in the kingdom of God. I have a per those that can't get out of bed on Monday morning shouldn't be Christians. Because every dollar I make, I'm partnered with God and I know what's happening for the advancing of the kingdom. And if you don't have a purpose to work, 
no one on the planet will have a purpose to work. Pastor Matt, why do you work multiple jobs and do this and do that? Because there's a hell. Everything I do is connected to the gospel. Everything prosperity gospel preachers preach is connected to stuff. It's the opposite. That was heavy. Okay, number one. Your Christian walk is not just what you do and learn for yourself, but rather what God does through your willingness. It's not about just you. It's about what God is going to do through your willingness. Some of y'all, God has something really cool for you. You just need to be willing. I didn't say able. I didn't say you're gifted and talented. <laughs> they called me gifted and talented. <laughs> I don't think that's what they meant. <laughs> He's gifted. <laughs> God bless him. Little Matt, there he goes. <laughs> I was always gifted and talented. Now I'm starting to get it. Those, those people making fun of me and I didn't even know it. I, it's not about that. It's about your willingness. Some of y'all are steeped in depression about what's not happening in your life and you need to get out of that and say, God, I'm willing to not be depressed. What? You're willing? I'm there. Draw nigh to God and he'll draw nigh to you. You're content in your apathy. You're content in what you have. And this is where the prosperity gospel is like, get up and, and work and, and, and get out there and do something and something will come back and you'll make money. No, no. Just be willing. Be willing to work hard and do so that God will do through you and give you exceedingly above what you ask or think. Measured by the gospel, not by your bank account. Uh. Number two, your Christian walk can and should be calibrated by your spiritual leaders and other brothers and sisters in Christ in the body. If you are operating in a vacuum by yourself and by your family, you're missing out. We talk all the time. We chat a lot. We talk about things. We talk about business. We talk about relationships. Mr. Dan, we call and we talk, don't we? We chit chat. We're here for each other. If you got an idea, talk to somebody about it. Get it out there. If I say it, then I might have to. Look, God's got stuff to do. Let's get busy. Get it out there with brothers and sisters. Number three, your Christian walk should be, pri are y'all ready to take this communion real fast because I've gone really long. We're just going to tear it, eat it, and drink it real quick, okay? Stay tuned. That's coming. In Jesus' name. Number three. It was really sacrilegious and it's okay. Your Christian walk should be prioritized above all other priorities in your life. It will give meaning to all other areas. So here's what I mean. That thing that's consuming you, put it on the back burner and worry about him and he'll give you that thing later. This is gold. You, it, this is gold. Number four, here's what Paul is saying. Your Christian walk is not, <laughs> some of y'all, this is it right here and I, and I close. Your Christian walk is not just doing something for someone else, but it is doing something for someone else while being happy about it. Y'all been doing something. Some of y'all been doing things for people for a long time, and you're not happy about it anymore. Look, if you've got it figured out and the Lord has partnered with you years ago, don't forget that you're supposed to do it happily.
Thanks for tuning in for this message on the Bethlehem Church Podcast. We hope it was a blessing to you. If you want to know more about us, feel free to check out our website at BethlehemChurch.cc. And also in every message that we publish, you'll find our sermon notes in the description. And we hope that you'll study these topics further. We'll see you next time.